Hello, PASS members. Welcome to the PASS Weekly Update Podcast. My name is Kim. I'm a community pharmacist working in Saskatoon, and I often find myself wishing that my emails would read themselves. Unfortunately, no one is planning to read my emails to me, but I'm going to read your emails to you. So why don't you make yourself a delicious mug of tea, something soothing for the soul, and sit your cute butt down, and I will tell you all about the PASS Weekly Update email from April 9th, 2021. Okay guys, I've got the email pulled up. I usually like to do a quick summary at the start of our podcast to kind of hone in on the topics that I think are going to be of the most relevant and important information to our practice at this time. And uh, of course, the first thing I see here is an announcement about this podcast existing. So obviously you guys are woke and in the know, but you should tell your friends so that they can listen to me uh, and my soothing voice as I tell them all about the updates to what's happening with pharmacy practice in Saskatchewan. Uh, (laughs) Just kidding. Moving on, it, it is a fairly large email today, so I think we have quite a bit to talk about. Primarily, it's focusing on the COVID-19 immunization program that's going to be uh, unfolding in our province. Uh, some of it specifically relevant to pharmacy and other things are appear to be like stakeholder updates from Sask Health Authority. I think that I'm just going to start at the top of the email and work my way down to the bottom. The first link that I'm going to click on here is from the Sask Health Authority. It's called COVID-19 Vaccine WS Eligibility and Procedure for Non-Residents. I don't know what WS means, but probably I'll find out. Oh, it means work standard. Rather than reading this whole document aloud to you, I'll probably just scan it and uh, give you the, the meat of the document here. Okay, so what I'm seeing here, it says... Non-residents will be eligible to receive COVID vaccine based on Saskatchewan COVID-19 vaccine delivery phases and priority populations. Non-residents who are staying in Saskatchewan for less than two weeks are ineligible to receive COVID vaccine. The following people staying in province for two weeks or longer may present to Sask Public Health immunization providers and receive COVID vaccines. Adults and children who are Canadian residents. Non-Canadian adults and children who are landed immigrants or refugees non-Canadian residents and their children who are working and or studying in Canada for any length of time, and other non-Canadian residents or visitors who do not meet an above criteria may be assessed on a case-by-case basis prior to receiving publicly funded services. So the most important thing, in my opinion, on this document, it says individuals without a SASC health card can only be immunized by public health immunizers. That is usually our standard when we're talking about flu shots and things of that nature. So we would, of course, refer on those individuals, but having this criteria available to us, we are able to then direct people appropriately. If they are staying in our province for two weeks or longer, then they may be eligible to be vaccinated in Saskatchewan. So we can refer them on and let us go back to our main email. I've clicked on the Sask Health Authority update for stakeholders and let us find the most interesting tidbits from this document. Immunization campaign, five minute message. More than 200,000 doses of vaccine have now been administered in our province, achieving the last 100,000 in just 20 days. We can learn more about their progress as well as the new drive-throughs opening across Saskatchewan in this week's five minute message. 
take a drive through a COVID-19 drive through immunization clinic. As the COVID-19 immunization campaign progresses, the Sask Health Authority is providing additional options for you to be immunized when your turn comes. Depending on the community you live in, you will have multiple options for immunization, appointment-based mass immunization clinics, first-come, first-served drive-through clinics, and appointment-based mobile clinics. In mid-March, a pilot drive-through immunization clinic opened in Regina, allowing Sask Health Authority to review and refine the process for additional clinics that would be opening soon throughout our province. These clinics do not require an appointment. They operate on a first-come, first-served basis for those who are currently eligible for immunizations. The main benefit of drive-through immunization is convenience since immunization happens while you are in your vehicle. Sometimes there can be long waits and there is not necessarily access to washrooms at the clinic, so people need to plan accordingly. Oh, people are able to check wait times at the drive-through immunization sites on Sask Health Authority website. As well, there's a video tour of the drive-through clinics on YouTube so people can find out what to expect when they decide to go through the drive-through. So that's kind of cool. Oh, this is definitely on the top of everyone's mind. This next heading, Health Canada reviewing AstraZeneca vaccine for those under 55 years of age. On March 24, 2021, Health Canada paused the use of AstraZeneca for those less than 55 years of age. This followed a recommendation made by the National Advisory Committee on Immunization to further study an extremely rare disorder called vaccine-induced prothrombotic immune thrombocytopenia, or blood clots related to the use of the AstraZeneca vaccine. Most cases of, I'm going to call it VIPIT, vaccine-induced prothrombotic immune thrombocytopenia, reported in Europe were in women under the age of 55, with incidents ranging between 1 in 100,000 and 1 in 1 million people. There have been no cases of VIPIT reported in Canada, in the UK, European Union, and Scandinavia. It is reported that symptoms of VIPIT usually present between 7 and 14 days after immunization and are associated with low blood platelets. Anyone vaccinated less than 20 days ago should seek medical attention if they develop symptoms including shortness of breath, chest pain, leg swelling, persistent abdominal pain, sudden onset of severe or persistent worsening headaches or blurred vision, and skin bruising other than at the vaccine site. Adults 55 years of age and older will continue to be offered the AstraZeneca vaccine given the increased risk of hospitalization and death due to COVID-19 for this age range. For those under 55 years of age who have already received the AstraZeneca vaccine, including Saskatchewan healthcare workers, they will be provided information on the type of second dose to be administered based on the outcome of the review of additional evidence currently being conducted. However, second doses are not required for up to 16 weeks from the date of when the first dose was received. Canada uses a comprehensive safety monitoring system to alert public health authorities to changing trends or unusual adverse events that emerge. The recommendation by NACI to pause the AstraZeneca vaccine for those under 55 years of age is an example of the thoroughness of the system. More information will be provided when the review provides further insight into the use of AstraZeneca for this age group. All right, next up we have an article written by Dr. Jason Gatsky, who practices in Swift Current. Gatsky says, Saskatchewan is entering the worst phase of the pandemic right now. The COVID variants are causing sickness and hospitalization in a younger age group than what we have seen thus far. Three things can help us get through. One, public health measures, including masks, social distancing, and limiting travel. Two, a robust vaccination program, and three, widespread testing. Let's talk testing. Testing identifies people who need timely care for COVID-19 and gets them to treatment sooner. Finding positive cases in asymptomatic and mildly symptomatic people will interrupt the spread of COVID and keep others safe. Here's a couple misconceptions regarding testing. 
One, low case numbers are always a good thing. I hear over and over that in southwest Saskatchewan we are doing well because of low reported case numbers. We need to consider the amount of testing. In general, our testing numbers in Southwest Sask are very low. These low testing numbers mean that we aren't doing enough tests to have a clear idea about our true COVID situation. Our emergency room has been admitting people to hospital with COVID-19 since last June. Statistically, for every COVID-19 hospital admission, there are dozens of undiagnosed cases circulating. Without widespread testing, we know that these cases are in the community, but we don't know where, so we aren't able to prevent people from spreading COVID. The second misconception he points out, less testing equals less cases equals less restrictions. Less testing contributes to more spread of the virus, which leads to more illness and ultimately more restrictions. People may attribute their symptoms to a cold or allergies or just feeling run down and use this as a justification for not getting tested. By not isolating with these symptoms, they can unknowingly continue spreading it. In my experience, people try to ignore their symptoms to avoid getting tested and having to deal with isolation protocols when they're positive. This creates an extremely dangerous situation for the patient and all those that they may encounter. They may deny that they have COVID-19 until they cannot stay home any longer. When they come to the hospital, they're often extremely ill. Early and frequent testing can help patients receive prompt treatment and significantly reduce the community spread of COVID-19. Get tested if you have symptoms. Get tested if you are a close contact of a COVID-19 patient or have traveled. Get tested if a pop-up clinic comes to your community. Encourage your kids to get tested at school when this is available. Encourage testing for employees at your business and support them if they need time off. The time is now. We need to slow the spread of COVID-19 and buy our province time to get more people vaccinated so we can get to the other side of this. That was a good article. I felt like it was written passionately. So hopefully I conveyed that in my voice today. I'm looping us back into our original email here. We've got Sask Health Authority COVID-19 Immunization Progress Report dated March 31st. Oh, this is cute. It's, I would call it an infographic. There are quite a few little cartoons on here. It's saying who has been immunized and it talks about different age groups and the number of people that have been immunized in each group. It shows you how many immunizations have taken place at the drive-thru versus mass clinics. How many vaccine appointments have been booked online versus phone and how many doses of each vaccine have been administered. This is interesting to me. So it says 133,063 doses of Pfizer, 43,364 doses of Moderna, 16,500 doses of AstraZeneca. Cool. Well, if that's something that you are keenly interested in, you know where to find it. It's in the past weekly update from April the 9th, 2021. Oh, here's a, from Sask Health Authority in our email. It says, COVID-19 Safety Bulletin, PPE, and Continuous Eye Protection. This is definitely something that I heard people asking about in the webinar we had with PASS on April 7th. I was at work, so I didn't get to listen to the details as closely as I would have liked to. I'll have to go back and listen to the webinar again and give it my undivided attention, but I think this will probably answer a question that I've been curious about. So this is from Sask Health Authority. It's called COVID-19 Safety Bulletin, dated March 19th, 2021. Continuous eye protection. The Sask Health Authority's top priority is safety for all. As such, we currently take many proactive measures and precautions to ensure a safe environment for everyone. As part of our offensive strategy, SHA is always monitoring and reviewing existing evidence and other jurisdictional practices to understand if additional levels of precaution are needed to protect each other and those we care for. 
Based on new recommendations from Public Health Agency of Canada, the direction of other jurisdictions, and the unknown impact of the variants of concern, SHA is recommending that effective March 22nd, staff, physicians, and family members support persons wear eye protection when interacting with an unmasked patient, resident, client, and unable to maintain a two-meter distance. This recommendation may change as new research and evidence become available. This recommendation does not replace the existing required eye protection in areas including, but not limited to, emergency departments, units, facilities on outbreak, droplet contact plus precautions, and situations where your point of care risk assessment indicates the need for eye protection. So it sounds like this is primarily for when you are interacting with people that for some reason are not able to wear a mask. What you need to know, staff, physicians, and family members support persons working with people, residents, clients who may not be masked and where physical distancing cannot be maintained may be provided with a face shield at the start of their shift. Family members support people who provide care for a loved one may request a face shield from staff. Exception, continuous eye protection does not apply to staff, physicians, and family members support people who can reliably and consistently maintain two meters of physical distancing from unmasked patients, residents, clients, or where physical barriers are in place, i.e. plexiglass. Current eye protection guidelines should be followed for instructions on proper use, donning and doffing, and cleaning, disinfecting, storing. Guidelines can be found on the PPE page of saskatchewan.ca backslash COVID-19 providers. Ooh, I did not know this existed. It would have been nice if we had access to this like quite a while ago. We wear face shields at my work all the time, just because when people were posting on the past Facebook page about getting inspected by public health, and some of them were told they need to wear continuous eye protection and some of them weren't, my workplace was like, you know what, let's just do it. We have kind of a galley style pharmacy, so it's impossible for us to be six feet away from each other at all times. It's very rare that we can maintain a physical distance. So we mask and some of us wear two masks and we wear face shields and we mostly wear scrubs as well. So we can cook them in very hot water after our shifts and not worry about them getting destroyed. Anyways, that was an aside. Uh, Let's go back into this document. It says, what you need to know about wearing eye protection for extended periods of time. Properly fitted face shields fit from forehead to below chin and ear to ear, thus covering the whole face completely and are designed to protect eyes from respiratory droplets coming from every angle. After removal or whenever eye protection is inadvertently touched, clean hands using an alcohol-based hand rub or soap and water if hands are visibly dirty. Eye protection can be used for multiple patient-resident-client interactions, including patients on droplet contact plus precautions. Eye protection does not need to be cleaned between each interaction with patients. However, it must be cleaned and disinfected if removed or is wet or soiled. Face shields must be discarded at the completion of your shift if damaged or visibility is impaired. There is no sharing of eye protection. It's dedicated to one single person. Dual eye protection, i.e. face shield plus goggles, is inappropriate. SHA supplied PPE is properly vetted and approved and should be obtained through your local supply chain only. So quite a bit of that information I think is not relevant to pharmacies, but it's interesting to see their internal documents because we haven't really been privy to this stuff before. All right, I'm taking us back into our past weekly update email. I see we have an update from the drug plan and extended benefits branch. Information bulletin number 760 called Recording COVID-19 Vaccine Inventory. Oh, it's only one page long. I love those. Okay, so DPEBB, Sask Ministry of Health, have 
coordinated the effort to make this one-page document, and it says, All pharmacies participating in the upcoming COVID-19 immunization program will be required to track the receipt of all COVID-19 vaccine products from Saskatchewan wholesalers. The daily administration of vaccine and any vaccine wastage into the Provincial Vaccine Distribution Tracking System, VDTS. Training materials for the VDTS will be provided in an upcoming bulletin. By April 12, 2021, please provide DPEBB a list of staff members, i.e. pharmacists, registered technicians, assistants with active PIP accounts that you want registered with eHealth Sask for access to the VDTS. Please ensure all columns on the registration form are filled out for each staff member, including last name, first name, middle name, personal cell numbers, existing PIP website login usernames. They have a link here where you can get that registration form for the VDTS system as well as information where you can return the completed form to. It looks like DPEB immunizations at health.gov.sk.ca. Ooh, we have another Drug Plan Extended Benefits Branch Information Bulletin. This one is numbered 758, called FAQ's COVID-19 Vaccine Administration. Oh, it's a six-pager. I need a drink. Good thing I have this delicious tea. Okay, bulletin number 758 is dated April 5th, 2021, entitled Frequently Asked Questions, COVID-19 Vaccine Administration by Saskatchewan Community Pharmacists. The Ministry of Health, in collaboration with Sask Health Authority, Sask College of Pharmacy Professionals, Pharmacy Association of Saskatchewan, and Continuing Professional Development for Pharmacy Professionals, will soon be launching the COVID-19 Immunization Program. That now has an acronym. They're calling it CIP. I'm going to pronounce that as SIP or KIP. No, we're going with SIP. Vaccine distribution will follow a phased approach. A limited number of pharmacies will participate in a pilot phase starting the week of April 19th, 2021, and will be notified of vaccine and ancillary supplies allotment no later than one week in advance of distribution. Extensive provincial rollout of vaccine will begin May 2021 following a similar notification and distribution process. The following questions have been posed to the Drug Plan and Extended Benefits Branch during the pharmacy registration process. Answers are provided below and are based on currently available information. I'm just going to start summarizing the key points here because I don't want to have everybody fall asleep and drown in their tea. Some time has elapsed, which you would not be aware of due to the magic of editing. However, I had the chance to go through this document, uh, all six pages of it, and I was feeling a little bit bored because I had the opportunity to tune into the past webinar from April 7th. No doubt this document was used to help inform a lot of the conversation that took place during the past webinar, but I feel like if I was to read this thing to you, I would just be like recreating a cheap imitation of that webinar. So rather than me reading this document to you, I think it would be more beneficial for you guys to certainly read it yourself if you want to, but the best thing would be if you were able to view the recorded version of the past webinar from April 7th. It's entitled COVID-19 Immunization Program in Sask Pharmacies. It contains all of this information and quite a bit more. It went on for just over two and a half hours. It is a doozy and they recorded it for us. Uh, if you go into your past weekly update from April 9th, they've got links for the recorded version as well as a link to access the slide deck. 
And as a reminder, this webinar is available to anybody that's interested in it. They do not have to be a past member and you can share it with them if they are interested in learning more about the program. As well, pro tip, this is what I've been doing lately. I have these wireless headphones and I can hook them up to my laptop with Bluetooth and then put the webinar on and have the headphones feeding the sound into my ears while I do my dishes or bake cookies or do whatever I want. And I don't have to just sit there and stare at the people that are on the webinar unless I want to. Sometimes I do that too. It depends on my level of ambition and how busy my schedule is, but I definitely recommend that to you. I would call that a life hack, especially right now when we're being constantly inundated with information. I am taking us back to our email. Ooh, this sounds scary. It's called Reporting Deaths Within 30 Days of Immunization, Government of Saskatchewan, March 29th. It says, to medical health officers, public health nurses, immunization coordinators, DPEBB, SASC Coroner Service, regarding reporting deaths within 30 days of immunization as adverse events following immunization. Oh, Dear colleagues, in Saskatchewan, a death occurring within 30 days following immunization is not reportable as an adverse event following immunization. If the death is confirmed by a physician, medical health officer is being attributed to a cause unrelated to the vaccine. For example, a death that is expected due to palliative care or attributable to an underlying chronic health condition. With the exception of the above, immediately report deaths occurring within 30 days following immunization to the Ministry of Health. The ministry is required to report these deaths to the Public Health Agency of Canada. Medical health officer will report deaths that cannot be attributed to a cause unrelated to the vaccine to the SAS coroner service, who will investigate and determine cause of death. If the death is attributable to the vaccination, the Ministry of Health must be advised and will follow up with Public Health Agency of Canada. If a physician is unsure about a vaccine being attributable to a death, they should consult the local medical health officer. Now that is dark, but obviously important in certain circumstances. Probably that won't affect us directly, but you never know. It's good to be informed. Okay, I'm taking us back into our email. Uh, we do have a reminder that end-of-season influenza vaccine needs to be disposed of after March 31st. That is old hat for us, so I'm not going to read the details. If you don't know about it, you should find out. Oh, here, this is cute. It says, Government of Saskatchewan has created a Facebook frame. I got vaccinated. Please change your profile picture to include the frame and encourage COVID-19 vaccinations. Let's check it out. I'm searching for this frame, but I feel like a Luddite. I don't know what I'm doing. Okay, search up, I got vaccinated. Maybe that's just what it's called here. There's so many. Options abound. Oh, I found it. Oh, it's cute. I like it. I'm going to use it. Use as profile picture. Switch back to previous profile picture in never. Now I'm going to once again get off of Facebook before I fall down the rabbit hole of scrolling. The next link in our weekly update email is entitled Tramadol Statement from CPHA. All right, it says, April 1st, 2021, the Canadian Pharmacists Association welcomes the Government of Canada's announcement to reclassify tramadol as a Schedule One narcotic under the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act. In 2018, CPHA called for reclassification of tramadol in order to eliminate the perception among healthcare providers and patients that it may be safe for analgesic alternative to other opioids. 
The reclassification allows for this opioid to be treated and prescribed similarly to other narcotics, with a particular focus on prescribing, dispensing, and educational practices concerning the drug. While this reclassification is an important step towards patient safety, we want to reiterate the importance of communicating this change to patients, particularly those who are experiencing addiction. CPHA understands the importance of access to appropriate pain management therapy and encourages healthcare providers to adapt and adjust prescriptions and patient education for tramadol accordingly. Pharmacists play an important role in managing opioid therapies, and we continue to urge Health Canada to include pharmacists as practitioners under the CDSA so that they can better support their patients. That is nicely written. I love it. I know this is a little bit of an aside, but let me find this again here. We want to reiterate the importance of communicating this change to patients, particularly those who are experiencing addiction. I love the phrasing of that, those who are experiencing addiction. That is a very well-informed sentence. I just finished a mental health first aid course, and one part of it was talking about language that perpetuates stigma, such as calling people addicts, because that is not very informed language, but this is those who are experiencing addiction. I have gone back into the past weekly updates. The next one is from Express Scripts called Empire Life Opioid Management Program. On April 1st, 2021, Empire Life will implement a health management tool called the Opioid Management Program. The Opioid Management Program will add controls around the use of opioids to protect plan members and address the opioid crisis occurring in Canada. How it works. The opioid management program will only impact patients that are deemed opioid naive. The patient is opioid naive if they have not filled an opioid claim with the Empire Life Pay Direct drug card in the previous 180 days. Most cases of acute pain that require opioid use resolve in 3 to 5 days. For a first time user, 3 days or less is often enough and more than 7 days is usually not required. Health Canada recommends that patients on opioids for more than one to two weeks follow up with their healthcare provider for reassessment and education. Using opioids accordingly to clinical recommendations reduces the risk of adverse reactions, overdose, and chronic unnecessary use. In an opioid-naive patient, a seven-day supply limit will be applied for initial fills of short-acting opioids. The pharmacist can use their professional judgment to dispense a seven-day supply or the original day supply on the prescription. A dispensing day's supply greater than 7 will be reimbursed for a 7-day supply only. That's interesting. So you can fill the whole prescription as it's written, but they're only going to pay you for 7 days. I don't know if I'm reading it wrong, but that's what I'm getting. It says, if a member has filled any opioid in the past 180 days, the messages will not be generated. For long-acting opioids, initial fill interventions will be accompanied by the following warning message. Preferred or step drug must be submitted. A free-form message, short-acting opioid must be tried first. The pharmacist can use their professional judgment to proceed with filling the long-acting opioid or contact the prescriber about changing the prescription to a short-acting opioid. Patients prescribed a long-acting opioid when a short-acting opioid is not effective or tolerated by the patient. You use either the following intervention codes, UP, first-line therapy, ineffective, or UQ, first-line therapy, not tolerated by patient. Cognitive fees. The pharmacist will be eligible for a cognitive fee when successful in switching an opioid-naive patient from a prescribed long-acting opioid to a prescribed short-acting opioid. To claim the cognitive fee, the pharmacy provider will have to submit a separate EDI claim with a product identification number. And they do provide here a pseudodin for that. That's kind of cool. I'm not seeing how much the cognitive fee is worth, but I like that they have one. 
Okay, we've got some update here about Moderna vaccine. I'll click on that. Okay, it says join Moderna for a webinar to learn about COVID-19 vaccine Moderna, which has been authorized for use under an interim order in Canada. There will be a live Q&A with the presenter following the presentation. It looks like they've got a few different sessions going. The first one was April 6th, so we don't care about that, but there is a session coming up April 21st as well as May the 4th. And if you would like to register for those, there is a link in the past weekly update email from April the 9th, 2021. And the final link here is from CPHA. And it is that webinar we've been chatting about a little bit uh, from the COVID conversation series entitled Preparing Your Pharmacy to Deliver COVID-19 Vaccinations Tips from the Frontline. I did have the opportunity to watch that one live and I thought it was good. I think the past one was even better, but there was definitely a few tips that I got from the CPHA webinar that were not addressed in the past webinar because they're more like just suggestions from practitioners. They're not mandatory things or necessarily part of the program, but there was a few good takeaways. So if you have time and will to watch another webinar, this one is available to you. All right, we have succeeded in our aim to get through the April 9th, 2021 email. We did so good. There were a lot of links. I felt a tiny bit overwhelmed when I opened this one up and hopefully I didn't bore you all to sleep with my voice. Trying a few new things out. I have no experience making a podcast, so I'm learning everything as I go. A few things I've been reading is that I should keep my microphone below my face instead of directly in front of it and try to talk like I'm having a normal conversation instead of using my radio VJ voice. Sometimes I do that anyway in normal conversations. But I digress. I hope that you had a delicious cup of tea or a tall, refreshing glass of iced tea or a different beverage of your choice. I'm not judging. You can have whatever you want. Could be water. Could be a wobbly pop. You do you. Anyways, we are done. 